At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We are wrapping up our Top 10 Prospects podcast series today with the San Diego Padres. And to do that, we are joined by my good friend and a former fellow Padres beat writer, Jeff Sanders of the San Diego Union Tribune. As our longtime listeners and readers may know, uh, I took care of the Padres farm system for us at BA. My first five seasons, I believe, here uh, as a member of the Baseball America staff after transitioning from my previous role, which included covering the Padres. Uh, I handed it off to Jeff this year, just uh, wanted to experience some other systems and uh, talk to some new executives. And also, Jeff, I apologize. I gave you the system after they were the top-ranked farm systems. The talent base wasn't uh, wasn't quite as deep. Yeah, I was going to say we saved the best for last, but that was only true a few years ago. Now, you know, they're in a little bit of a rebuilding, reloading kind of mode as far as the farm system goes with all their moves. Yeah, and to that point, I think we kind of need to rehash everything that happened last year because it's really relevant for what the future holds. Uh, the Padres at this time last year were considered the most exciting team in baseball. They had traded for Blake Snell. They had traded for you Darvish. They had traded for Joe Musgrove, and they traded a lot of prospects to do it. Uh, they went from the number one overall farm system in baseball entering 2019 to, by the start of last year, kind of a, a middle-of-the-pack farm system, in part because of all those trades, which, again, is part of the process. You, you need to trade kind of your leftover prospects for stars. But things did not go as planned in the major leagues. They were a playoff team for most of the year and then could just completely fell apart down the stretch, went four and 18 over their final 22 games. The year ended with manager Jace Tingler being fired and a lot of front office shakeups took place as well. Uh, Mark Connor, their longtime scouting director was reassigned. Sam Ganey, their longtime farm director was not brought back. Just a lot of things kind of fell apart for the Padres last year. As we move into this season, Jeff, when you look at the big league team as it stands now, coming off of a 79 and 83 season, as well as a farm system that has some talent at the top, but is pretty shallow beneath it, what is the state of this organization? I think they're in limbo right now. And, you know, you know, the, the tenor of this conversation might have been different if we had this talk a week ago. But, you know, you come to camp on Monday and Fernando Tatis Jr., broken wrist, you know, that puts a damper on things. And... Now the, the Dodgers and the Giants have made several moves. The Rockies are making moves, and the, and the Padres right now, the, their biggest addition might be Nick Martinez right now. And, you know, that doesn't really get the fan base excited. And you're coming off a year with such disappointment at the end, and you're already beginning the year with your best player on the injured list. It's, a, it's put a, um, a real cloud over spring training as we get going here. Yeah, the news that Fernando Tatis Jr. will be out up to three months with a wrist injury, certainly not the news anyone in the Padres organization wanted to start spring training with. And it is notable that this team had the most man games lost to injury last year. That was a 
big reason why they fell apart at the end of the year. And another thing that I've talked about a lot of places was this team needed starting pitching reinforcements in the worst way at the trade deadline. They did not get them. And as a result, we saw by the end of the year, they had to resort to starting guys like Vince Velasquez and Jake Arrieta, who had been released and were picked up on waivers. And it was predictably disastrous. They just did not have the arms to get through the end of the year. And that kind of leads us into, in a lot of ways, the top storyline of this minor league system, which is Mackenzie Gore. A big reason why the Padres didn't have the arms they needed at the end of last year was they were counting on Mackenzie Gore to kind of find his way back and potentially be in the majors by the midpoint of last season. Instead, he had got sent back down from AAA all the way down to Arizona to just completely rework and rebuild his delivery. And down the stretch there in August, September, when the Padres initially might have hoped to have him in the rotation, he was working his way back through the low minors. Of course, that's not to say the reason they fell apart was because of Mackenzie Gore and nothing could be further from the truth, but just a situation where they expected to have him and just where he was developmentally, he he wasn't ready. He's kind of gone backwards the last two years now. Uh, We talked about it. We reported on it a lot at BA, how it the alternate site in 2020, his mechanics got very, very out of sync. His stuff fell apart. His command fell apart. His stuff came back last year. The command did not. Where is Mackenzie Gore right now in terms of his development, mentally, physically? Because uh, the Potters have really put a lot of expectations on him and, and there are a lot of franchise expectations on him. I guess physically he is in camp on the 40-man roster he will start their Cactus League opener on Friday. I, um, we were at camp on, on um, like, the day after the, the lockout lifted, and all of a sudden we hear the pop of the mitt, and we go over to field two, and Mackenzie Gore is throwing the first live BP of any Padre. A um, lot of buzz about that, about that session. Now, he's throwing the minor leaguers, and, but you know what? He is a minor leaguer, and it was two clean innings, um, two up and downs, a lot of oohs and ahs. He hit 99 on the gun. Uh, you know, that's the number one thing is all for everything that went wrong with Mackenzie Gore, he came back with the velocity. And there isn't an injury history that we know of. Um, it's, you know, it's these mechanics. It's this intricate delivery that needs to, to be streamlined. And, and he can take off. He can be the same guy. There isn't any reason why he can't be. He just hasn't shown it in two years. And, you know, and the last two years, you know, an alternate site, you hear, you know, he's not a guy that does well under the microscope by, you know, by all accounts. You know, he's a guy that gets up for the game, who, who relies on adrenaline. And it was just a weird two years. So, yeah, he looked good. Um, the fastball velocity allows the other secondary stuff to play up. Um, his mechanics look streamlined. He's a big guy where you circle and you think of, you know, new pitching coach Ruben Niebla. And you think Mackenzie Gore, get him right, get him going. That's got to be one of the main benefactors if Niebla, you know, is everything that everybody says he is. So, but we got to see it, right? We, ha- we haven't seen him pitch well since 2019 in a, a competitive game. Yeah, the thing with Mackenzie Gore, and it was really a, a long debate amongst our staff for the top 100 prospects. At the end of the day, you take a step back. This is still a pitcher who just turned 23, is left-handed, 
shows you flashes of four plus pitches and has shown you the ability to dominate in the past. And we see a lot of starting pitching prospects go sideways at some point in their development and turn out fine. Lucas Giolito comes to mind. Tyler Glasnow comes to mind. So I think it would be foolish to give up on him. And I actually wrote a story about this too, that, you know, these expectations that, oh, he'll be ready in 2021 as a guy who was a 2017 high school draftee. History shows us that that doesn't really happen. High school draftees, it's five to six years from the time they're picked until they're really ready to contribute in a significant way in a major league rotation with almost no exception. And I think in some ways it was unfair to expect him to be ready in 2020 or 2021. I mean, history tells us 2022 was really the earliest that he realistically would have been ready to throw 100 innings in a season and be a a full-on major league contributor to a starting rotation. So I do think there's a little bit here of, of maybe people's expectations were a little out of whack with reality. What are the expectations now in terms of can he still be this front of the rotation pitcher? Because it it does seem like just getting him back on track is the first step. But at the end of the day, the goal has been for him to be a a number one caliber starter. And people have seen that level of ability in him. It's the command, right? Because of the stuff's there. He's got to have better strike zone command. He's got to throw better strikes that aren't in the middle of the plate, too. You throw 99, no one's going to give up on you. Um, but you. But you make a good point about the expectations of a frontline starter. The Padres still believe that. And that's why, you know, I heard some chatter on the backfield that day about the top 100. And, and you know, there's Padres executives that, that noted that his place is not on there and that that might be a regret one day. And I'm pretty sure that nobody will complain if that's a regret. I mean, it's a snapshot in time. But you think about those things like where did Jacob deGrom sit you think about aces now, where did Jacob Dirk Rom sit in top 100s? Max Scherzer. I mean, these guys don't have linear paths to where they are now, especially pitchers. There's just so many variables. Um, we don't know. The Padres still don't know, but I can tell you that their faith in him is unwavered. Yeah, that's been one of the, the things that has been – when you just kind of do the reporting, uh, try to find the middle ground of that the Potters internally have tremendous faith in Mackenzie Gore. I've had those conversations. You've had those conversations. Evaluators from other teams are, are much less bullish. Uh, you mentioned the, the quality of strikes and the ability to consistently throw quality of strikes. There are not a lot of people outside the Padres organization who have a whole lot of faith that he will do that consistently right now based off what they saw in the fall league and uh, even some of the, the smaller looks they got when he came back last year. So that that's really the biggest question that needs to be answered. Um, I do reside on the side of a 23-year-old left-handed starter who has the stuff he has, has shown us the ability to dominate like he has, and again, was probably victimized by unrealistic expectations of when he would be ready to pitch in the major leagues. At the end of the day, I definitely lean more optimistic than pessimistic, uh, but ultimately, you know, one of the biggest things for us at Baseball America is reflecting the industry consensus, reflecting what everyone around the game is seeing. And from a pure reporting standpoint, outside of the Padres system, the faith in the quality strikes was not there enough to put him in the top 100. But I will say just on, on a personal level, I will not be shocked if five years from now we look back and yeah, he should have been on there. I can absolutely see that outcome and being a potentially realistic one. And that doubt is partially created by the Padres, right? They didn't share um, information or data or video uh, like other teams did of what he was doing at the alternate site. 
in, in 2020. He spent most of 2021 like under the hood, uh, you know, in Peoria, you know, working on stuff. People are, people are going to have doubts, and that's just gonna that's just what it is. And like I said, the, these top 100s, these rankings, it's a it's a snapshot in time, and it you know it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Jeff. Gore checked in at number four in the Padres organization rankings, and there were a lot of discussions about should he be number two, should he be number three, should he be number four. Again, very clearly someone that was going to rank high in this organization. It was just a matter of where. But over the course of our discussions and your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the system, it was notable that C.J. Abrams, in a lot of people's minds, had kind of leapt to the top of this organization to be the number one prospect. And I even remember doing the Padres rankings in years past, when Gore was getting all the graves in the world, there were people who said, you know, it's kind of 1-1-A with him and Abrams. I mean, Abrams has, has really impressed people since he was drafted, hit 401 in his debut in the rookie-level Arizona League, uh, late promotion of Fort Wayne. Came back last year at jumping straight to AA and, and performed very, very well in a very pitcher-friendly park in San Antonio. However, it was only 42 games before he suffered a season-ending injury, and that has been sadly one of the stories of his career so far. Uh, Between injuries and the pandemic, he has only played 76 career games. What are the reviews on C.J. Abrams, just given the talent, but also uh, just really the limited looks at him because he's had trouble staying healthy? You know, it's elite speed. It's elite bat-to-ball skills. It's surprising power for a guy that is as skinny as he is. I mean, you know, I think it was last spring I was watching um, Abrams hit opposite field shots in the Cactus League and A.J. Prowler is coming through the the press box. He's like, you see that? I'm like, this kid has all the ability in the world and, you know, he he needs to show it and um, he needs to be be able to to stay on the field to show it. Um, He's only got 300 – 48 plate appearances and you know he's going to get a long look this spring the expectation is that Hassan Kim might be the first option to play shortstop Jacob um, Jake Cronenworth is going to be in that conversation but Bob Melvin has has mentioned CJ Abrams and you know we'll see what that looks like when games get started but he's a guy that everybody you know wants to to see what he can do how close he is because he's had 42 games at double a no experience at AAA, and he's a guy that could be knocking on could be knocking on the door by 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 midseason, maybe sooner. I mean, there's really no reason for the Padres not to to let him have the job if he shows that he that, that he can handle it. We just we don't we don't know. We haven't seen a whole lot of him. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think it was uh, kind of noticeable as soon as Tatis went down we saw Padres Twitter the the passionate group they are start talking about bring Abrams up bring Abrams up and I do think it's important to pump the brakes a little bit again really really talented kid a top 10 overall prospect in baseball but the reps still need to come a little bit the experience still needs to come and and I can definitely see a scenario where you open with Hassel and Kim as your shortstop see if he can adjust offensively to major league velocity getting every day at bats you mix Jake Cronenworth in there and then bring Abrams up when he's ready. And maybe he does show he's ready in spring training, but um, again, a really, really talented kid. But I, I do feel like at least on social media, Padres fans might need to pump the brakes a little bit, just given again, he's played 76 career games in the minor leagues, only 42 of them above the class A levels. Right. We need to see him fail, right? Like 
like, he's a 340 hit, 343 hitter as a pro. Like, he needs to fail at some point and figure out how to get himself out of it. I mean, a lot of farm directors will tell you they want that to happen in the minor leagues. They don't want a kid's first failure to be in the majors because who knows how he reacts to it. Um, you know, he's got makeup off the charts. I don't think anybody doubts that he, you know, wouldn't react fine to it. He wouldn't be able to pull himself out. Um, but, you know, he just – he hasn't gone through a full season to, to experience all this, you know, all the ups and downs. In general, there has been some debate on whether or not he ends up a shortstop, a second baseman, a center fielder. He was drafted as a shortstop, and he's really progressed rapidly defensively. The Padres raved about his defense at the alternate site. Again, this is where the Padres evaluators hold some different opinions than external evaluators. Um, external evaluators who have seen him just given kind of the arm slot, they prefer him at second base. Although it is notable, he has a very quick release, gets the ball out quickly. It helps the arm play up a little bit at, from across the diamond at shortstop. Where does he profile best defensively? Because that has been one general question about him. I'm, I, th- I think an athlete like that would look really good in center field. Um, now they're going to keep him at shortstop as long as possible. That's the best way to develop his overall, you know, skill base. Um, he, he, I, he, he's got a better arm than, than you, you'll see in batting practice. He's a guy that saves his balls for when he needs them. He's kind of like the opposite of Tatis. Tatis plays with his hair on fire. Abrams is kind of like the, this low motor kind of player who, who does what he needs to get the job done. So, I guess that would, you know, lend lend it lend yourself to thinking that if he can play shortstop long term, um, or if he's better suited for second base. But I think, uh, you know, just let let those legs run. I, I I think he would have a great look in center field. You and a lot of evaluators over the years, but again, we'll see what he's able to do defensively at shortstop. Again, kind of get run of of a full season out there and uh, see what he's able to produce. Jeff, these are two headline prospects. Uh, Robert Hassel, their first-round pick in 2020, had a really good debut season at Lake Elsinore last year. Uh, Luis Camposano came up to the majors for a little bit. Again, didn't get consistent playing time, uh, spent most of the year in AAA. Uh, Both are top 100 prospects and guys that there's a lot of hope for in the future. Uh, The guy who checked in at number five on the list, James Wood, was – one of the top players at the rookie level Arizona Complex League last year. He entered the year considered a potential first-round pick, uh, really struggled his senior season of high school, uh, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of swings and misses, kind of dropped him into the second round. But the Padres drafted him and gave him first-round money, and he went out and right away looked like one of the better players in the draft class compared to some of his peers. What were the first impressions of him, and what do the Padres have here? Well, he, he strikes an imposing figure, right? I mean, uh, six foot six, six foot seven, two hundred forty pounds. He's he looks like he's going to be a power hitter, and you know, could be pretty quickly. You know, he had a poor, he had a poor senior year. Nobody denies that. Toward the end of the year, the the uh, him and the coaching staff at IMG, you know, they start working on widening his stance. The Padres picked up on that. You know, trying to work on his hand positioning. Um, better path to the ball. I mean, he's got long levers. I mean, those are things that you have to – they have to be on point for a guy that um, that big to hit the ball consistently. And you know what? He took off. Um, he's a guy that they're going to keep in center field for as long as they can. You saw that with Joshua Mears. They're going to keep their guys up the middle for as long as they can. But he's, he's a guy that they're excited about. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he opens the year at Lake Elsinore. We see him kind of 
you know, having the start that maybe Robert Hassel had um, last year at uh, Lake Elsinore in the California League, which is rightly called the California League again. Yes, definitely. I, I think we're all happy they changed the league names back. But yeah, I remember talking to some folks and they mentioned, you know, his senior year, they thought he was just pressing a lot with all the eyes on him. And as a result, again, it was it was not the type of year you want to see from a, from a high school player who you're looking at as a, a top, top pick. But the other thing that jumps out about him is, yes, he's 6'7", 240. His dad was a standout college basketball player at the University of Richmond and played him overseas. He's also very athletic. You mentioned the center field aspect. It's not like he's just a, a big loaf out there who you're trying to force it. He can actually move pretty well. He was 10 for 10 on stolen bases last year. This is this is a unique power-speed combination. Athletes with this size and athleticism, they don't often play baseball. A lot of times you see him more on the basketball court. Right. You, you don't see six foot seven, 240 center fielders every day. That's why I don't think he's going to end up there. There's just not many comps that for guys – winding up in center but you know the Padres probably pretty happy that a guy like that slid to them in the, in the second round and they were able to get Jackson Merrill with their first pick and then go over slot and get a guy with loud tools and AJ Perler likes guys with loud tools that he most certainly does so all right Jeff uh this was the top five of the system a fairly clear-cut top five I want to dive in with you on the back half of this top 10 and, and the 11 to 30 group in this farm system. First, we're going to take a quick break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we are back with Jeff Sanders breaking down the San Diego Padres farm system. Jeff, we talked about the top five prospects in this system, 
Abrams, Hassel, Camposano, all top 100 prospects. Gore, uh, previously a top 100 prospect and certainly someone that I would not be shocked to see back in there sooner rather than later, or at least has the career worthy of a top 100 prospect. And James Wood, uh, again, another guy who, if everything clicks the way he showed it, might in his pro debut, will be on the top 100 in no time. After this top five, the, the depth of the system does drop off pretty considerably. Again, a lot of trades to go get frontline players like you, Darvish and Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove. Uh, you have Adrian Morhone at six, who had Tommy John surgery, is still prospect eligible for us here at Baseball America, even though he has officially exceeded his, uh, his rookie eligibility. As you get into this back group, it's a lot of young guys, guys, the class A levels, in some cases, guys who have barely played professional baseball. How did you kind of stack this group up? And how many guys would you say were kind of in the mix for this? Let's call it the seven to 10 range. Cause I feel like more home was pretty securely in there at number six. Yeah, it was pretty finite for, for this group. You know, the guys, you know, we can get into them a little bit later. Like the guys that were, had standout years in the Dominican Summer League, Victor Acosta, um, Sammy Savella, and um, oh, Daniel Montesino. Th- those guys, because they're so young, they're so far away, you know, it wasn't really a consideration for top 10. Um, the, the guy that I thought could have been maybe, you know, in the James Wood, you know, portion of this list would be Joshua Mears. He is a guy – had a laundry list of things that got in the way last year and still hit 17 home runs in um, 71 games at Lake Elsinore. But the laundry list, he had – let me pull it up so I'm, I'm, I'm correct on this. He had a, a wrist issue from running into a wall, dove for a ball, had a shoulder issue, had COVID, um, got a concussion that ended his year because he took a knee to the for- – to knee to the forehead, you know, in left field. He's in instructs, fouled the ball off his face, breaking his nose. And this is, a, I mean, you talk about, you know, specimens of a baseball player with James Wood. Uh, Josh Ramirez is right up there. He is a chiseled guy, low body fat guy. He looks like he should be playing defensive end. Like the Padres, if they ever get a flag football team going, they'd have some pretty good contains with Wood and Mears on the, on the, on the ends. Um, but he's, he's a guy that he gets going. He's, I mean, he hit that 117, 118-mile home run in Catholic's League last year off Carlos Estevez. I don't think he played any above rookie ball. I mean, he's got loud tools. The, the thing that with him is can – and he plays center field too. He, he runs. He, you know, learn to keep him there So, but as long as they can. But he's a guy that they – you know, if he gets to his power, he could, you know, be someone to watch. So – what do they do to get to his power? You know, they want to keep his shoulders in the zone longer, give him a clear, you know, path, work on his path, bat path, things like that. And he needs to play. He only played half a year last year. I mean, I would expect him to be at Fort Wayne this year. But he's a guy that I'm watching to, to make a big leap this year. Yeah, Mears is is really a physically imposing specimen, to say the least, as you kind of laid out. When you see him on a baseball field, it, it's really, really impressive. And uh, the power is absolutely monstrous. Uh, it's, I mean, it is. It's 80-grade raw power. And, and just watching him in the California League last year, I'm going to call it the California League, even though it was technically called Low A West for a year. Uh, yeah, I mean, you talk about, you know, Marco Luciano and Duelvi Marte and all these guys with with big power. 
none of them hold a candle to Joshua Mears in terms of how far they can hit a baseball. Uh, the big question with him, as you mentioned, he's a bigger guy, and, and there are a lot of swing and miss concerns there. Uh, he struck out, even when he was going well, June 10th on through September 3rd, he actually hit 280, 374, 662. I mean, he was crushing balls at the end of the year. But even when he was going well, his strikeout rate was north of 37%. And there just isn't really a lot of precedent for players with strikeout rates that high in low A going on to major league careers, or at least impactful major league careers. What is the sense of how much contact he's going to make? Because it does precedent tells us it probably won't happen, but at the same time, he's so strong, so athletic. You mentioned there were injuries bothering him. I personally think it'd be foolish to completely write him off. Yeah, I, th- I think anyone would tell you, let's let him play for a full year. Let's, let's get him on the field. Let, let these adjustments, you know, ru- you know, run their course. And, you know, at the same time, yeah, he's striking a lot. He's still walking too. There's a, there's a profile of a player that even if he strikes out a lot, the way he gets on base um, could work out, but the, the trick is get to his power because that, that's the tool that is going to carry him to the majors and he needs to get to it for that to happen. When we did the tool grades over at Baseball America, a lot of people kind of raised the point of that there's a 30 on his hit grade and people freaked out about that. A 30 hitter is a 220 hitter in the majors. If he can hit 220, get to his power at 30 home runs, those guys are in the major league. So it does seem like that is kind of the expectation, 220, maybe 230, but with a lot of power. And again, there are those players in the major leagues. Right. And if he's walking to supplement that, all the better. Yeah, certainly uh, an intriguing guy. And also, by the way, a great a human being, uh, incredibly smart, was, was set to graduate high school early, major in engineering at Purdue. Uh, just, you know, a guy who, who draws raves for his mental makeup as much as his physical talent, which is pretty prodigious. Jeff, outside of this top 10, you mentioned some of the guys in the DSL, Victor Acosta, Samuel Zavala. Someone who is more high profile is Kevin Copps. He was the Golden Spikes Award winner as the top player in college baseball last year at Arkansas. Uh, The Potters drafted him in the third round. Uh, He is a clear-cut reliever, but a a lot of people think he has a chance to be a dominant one because he has a slider that even when batters know it's coming, they can't touch it. What do the Potters have here? And and he got to double A in his pro debut. Could he be in the majors here in his first full season? I think the expectation is... He, he, he won't have a chance to be ranked on this list next year because he's going to get some work in the majors this year, um, especially with the ramp up. I think they're going to need a lot of arms to get through this year. And he is a guy that is moving fast. He has this, I don't want to say trick pitch, but it's, it's a pitch that is, that, that's his best pitch and they can't hit it. And it's this cutter slider gyro spinning, you know, pitch and swing and miss and he's gonna get every opportunity to to show what he can do in big league camp this year he's one of the few guys that you know that are in big league camp from the last year's draft class and he might be the only one um yeah he he is like i am super interested to watch him because i always just find it like this guy was the golden spikes winner and you know now he's Ranks just, you know, middle of the pack. I mean, he's 26. He's had Tommy John. He was a sixth-year senior. I mean, he signs for something like 300000 or something like that. And, 
you know, and then he's dropped into, you know, obscurity in, in Fort Wayne and a lot of, you know, I, I think he's going to move quickly. I think they expect him to move quickly and his, where he settles in the majors depends on how good that slider is. And, you know, if you can get a little bit more velocity, you know, on that fastball, which is below average to average. He had a sub one ERA at Arkansas last year in 33 appearances and then went out in his pro debut in 14 more appearances, 0.61 ERA, gave up one run in 14 and two thirds innings. Again, small sample, but you combine that with what he did over the course of a long college season. It's certainly impressive. The slider plays and, uh, you know, we'll see what he's able to give the potters and the majors and, and who knows, maybe even he'll be able to pitch in some high leverage situations for them. Jeff, We've talked about the depth has been thinned out a lot by trades. Um, but again, there are some guys here. We saw Reese Kinnear make his major league debut last year. Who, who are some guys in this maybe 16 to 30 range, the back half of the top 30, who intrigue you as, as guys who can maybe pop in the next year or two? Well, I'll, I'll go to the 11 to you know 30 range because Victor Acosta and Stanley Sabello, those are guys just outside the top 10 outstanding numbers in the um in the Dominican summer league you know you can sit there and walk a lot by just not swinging but you know they hit for power they, they got on base Daniel Montesinos in that group more of an outfielder um probably corner outfielder you know maybe first base type he's not going to play this year he's had Tommy John he's done for the year um so that's you know kind of a, a disappointing you know development considering the Padres a lot of their high end, high ceiling guys are young and rather far out. Now he's going to lose a whole year, but I'm interested to see what uh, Victor Acosta and Sammy Savella does. Um, I I met Sammy this last week in minor league camp. Speaks English, comes across a very bright. Um, you know, you talk to the um, scouts in the system, and it's who's ahead, Acosta or Savella. A lot of them, you know, will say that Savella is ahead of Acosta. Some will say Acosta is ahead of Savella, but I think. Both those guys, 17, 18 years old, might have a chance to start the year in, in Lake Elsinore, and I'm interested to see where they come out. Yeah, absolutely. There are some arms here that kind of interest me. Adrian Martinez has a, has a great changeup. You know, that could help him potentially make his major league debut this year. Raymond Kerr, who they acquired from the Mariners in the Adam Frazier trade, is up to 100 from the left side. And again, it's a power fastball. And Stephen Wilson is someone who's shown good stuff when he's been healthy. He's just struggled to stay healthy. Um, but I can see all three of these guys helping the Potters out in the bullpen this year. And, you know, some guys like Ethan Elliott popped a little bit last year. Uh, Efren Contreras was looking great and instructs in 2020 before he went down had Tommy John surgery he should be back this year so there are some arms here that are certainly interesting and uh, one guy I think is kind of fun is Matt Waldron at, at number 30 uh, just because he throws a knuckleball Padres brought him in they saw him kind of just messing around throwing a knuckleball around during camp and said why don't you throw that in games and turned out to be a decent pitch for him. I, I'm always kind of a fan of seeing a knuckleballers return a little bit. So again, there is a, a crop of arms here that can help. And they're all in theory, at least a year closer to the majors who could be able to help this team. Whereas again, last year, they were left to dumpster dive a little bit. And it was a big reason why they fell apart at the end of the year. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up uh, Waldron and the knuckleballer. I mean, who isn't rooting for a knuckleballer to be in the majors. And, like, he he, he throws the R.A. Dickey type. He's harder. He actually has two, uh, you know, a 70s and a, a low 80s knuckleball. Um, he hasn't thrown it much. So, you know, the, he needs to throw it 
more. He's just learning how to do it. But he's a guy that, you know, I don't know if he's a starter or a long middle reliever, but you talk about being different and having that be something that helps you out. You have him come in after Blake Snell, you know, that, that's a good combination, right? Like, like you can screw up a, a, the timing of a lineup for a few days if you have a good knuckleballer in there. <laughs> Yeah, that's for dang sure. So, uh, yeah, again, we'll, we'll see where this system ends up. They'll have a, a decent draft pick this year, again, by virtue of finishing with a losing record. And, you know, we'll see what they'll continue to add or if they end up packaging guys for trades. We know President of Baseball Operations, A.J. Preller, is someone who's not afraid to to make some big, big, big deals. And, you know, we'll see what they end up doing with with some of the prospects they have, both the top-end guys and the depth a little bit. Jeff, before we wrap up, I think the big question we have to ask is when you look at this major league team, you look at the farm system, adding Bob Melvin, potentially getting some guys back on the pitching side, Mike Clevenger coming back from Tommy John surgery, especially where is this organization? Because I think for as much as AJ Preller's tenure has gotten a lot of attention and there's been a lot of flash and flare attached to it, the Padres have one winning record in seven seasons under the Preller regime. And that was the shortened 2020 season what needs to happen and, and realistically when will this franchise take that step to becoming the perennial contenders that they've hoped to be? Well, it needs to be now, right? I mean, they're one of two teams to that crossed the luxury tax last year. The other one is the Dodgers. And by the end of the year, they were nowhere near the Dodgers. Um, you know, I think clearly they're third in the division right now. Um, AJ Pro is hampered by some of the, the contracts that are probably viewed as mistakes. Eric Hosmer, you know, trying to unload that. Will Myers trying to unload that. I think that's why he's had a hard time getting anything done so far. So they're going to take a leap. They're going to need some of these guys that have fallen off the last year and a half to take step forwards. That's Mackenzie Gore. That's Ryan Weathers, you know, figuring out what happened after the all-star break. That's, hey, um, Michael Bedar, their new hitting coach, raved about in the, the giant system as an up and up and comer thinker in the game like hey get him in can he help Trent Grisham revert to form can he help get uh Hosmer to lift the ball more get uh, more consistency out of Will Myers um Ruben Niebla can, can he get Gore going can he keep Snell on track and and you Darvish and, and Clevenger he's already been a big help to Clevenger in his career like, Chris Paddock, another guy of, they need to get on track. Oh, my gosh, yes. Chris Paddock, you know, he's fighting for the fifth um, spot in the rotation. He was, what, the opening day starter not that long ago. Like, that's another guy that fell off big time. And there's still a lot of belief in these guys. So, right right now, I mean, I don't see that there's going to be any big acquisition. Now, AJ, I shouldn't say that because AJ Pollard can do anything. He'll stun us at any moment. But I think the biggest gains to be made are getting these guys that the organization has faith in that took step backs to, to get back on track. And I think that's going to be a big theme with Bob Melvin, with Ruben Niebla, with Michael Bedar, is these guys getting them to be the guys that they envisioned they were going to be the last few years when this farm system was touted as one of the best. 
Yeah, there's no question. A lot of the Padres turning it around is going to have to come from internal improvements. It can't just be about bringing up guys from the outside in to save the day. You, you need Myers to hit better. You need Hosmer to hit better. You need Grisham to get back to it, and especially on the pitching side, guys staying healthy and effective over the course of the season. Because we even saw you Darvish start really well and really tail off, and Blake Snow was kind of the opposite. He started off sluggish and finished strong and you know, on top of Paddock and, and Weathers and Gore. The talent is here, but they've got to get more out of it than they got last year. And we'll see if the new coaching staff is able to do that. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your insight as always. Yeah, anytime. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Sanders, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.